1: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Whether you are a new listener or have been hearing me chat for over 600 episodes, I hope you know that I only promote sponsor brands that I truly love and use myself. And I think y'all know how much I love movement and adhere to the motto that movement is life. But what happens if your movement has maybe impacted your life? Products are a plenty to help you move and feel better. But I'm super enthusiastic to share one of my favorite product makers, Noboso Technology. Naboso's mission is for everyone to experience the enhanced confidence and quality of life that comes from optimizing movement, and they focus on the ground up. Every time you take a step, nerves in your feet send thousands of signals to your brain. Your brain then tells your body how to react to the surfaces you're stepping on. More signals to the brain and body mean stronger feet, better balance, and the ability to move and feel your best. Naboso has so many awesome products to choose from. My personal favorites are the NeuroBall and Mats, designed to stimulate the nervous system and enhance movement. And I also love their toe separators called Splay, which are easy to use and wear with shoes. Find out more at neboso.com, N-A-B-O-S-O.com, and use code LITYOGA for 10% off your order. I welcome with joy and enthusiasm my sweet friend and someone who I've had on the podcast already, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. She is a teacher. She happens to teach where my daughter goes to school at Northwestern University, and a therapist and an author of two books. She has become one of today's most trusted voices in the world of relationships, and her work on relational self awareness has reached millions of people around the world. Dr. Solomon is brilliant at her work, and she talks about relationships. What is relational awareness, and how do we improve it? How do we capitalize on our relational superpowers, and so much more? She also reveals something that she discovered on a retreat of mine that she joined this last spring, which was amazing to have her there. And it really has to do with our relationship with our body, and how all of it, our relationship with others whether it's an intimate relationship with a partner or a parent and our relationship with our body helps us further and deepen our relationship with ourselves. And this, by the way, is a lifelong journey. We just want to be open and curious and compassionate. And Dr. Solomon's going to tell us how. So please enjoy my conversation with her. Welcome Alexandra. So so thrilled to have you back on. This is your second time with me on the podcast and of course we spent some time together this spring on my retreat and it's thank you so much for taking the time to be here.
0: I do I get to be officially considered a regular now on your show?
1: Yes, I think so. Coming on <laughs> twice, there's not many people who get double, you know, get, get in the, uh, you know, more than once. So yes. Right. You can become yeah. I'm sure you'll be a regular after this one. That's right.
0: That's right. And um, right. And the thing that's happened between my first time with you and this time with you is exactly as you said, I got to spend a week in Costa Rica with you, which was just like, I can't even think about it without tears coming to my eyes. It was seriously so magical.
1: Well, thank you. And I, I'm sure when we start talking about love and self-love and body, I'd like to kind of you know circle back into this like- why it's so magical to do something like that. But mm. I want to launch right off. I have a little uh, clip from your website I want to read as an introduction for anybody that isn't yet aware of you, you powerhouse. You, it says on there, Research has shown again and again that the quality of our relationship is the most salient determinant of the quality of our lives. Yet few of us have received the relationship education we need to create relationships founded in curiosity, authenticity, and integrity. The research is clear. Our relationships are the biggest determinant of our happiness, yet we're never taught how to do them. So you also ask on the website, are you relationally Mm self-aware? Can you explain what that means, why it's important, how we know if we are or aren't, and how to improve that awareness since we know this is such a huge feature of our own happiness? Right, right. Okay, so, you know, relationships uh, come
0: there's all different sorts of relationships obviously we tend I tend to spend most of my time talking about our intimate partnerships our dating lives our sex lives our marriages but of course this you know everything we talk about in terms of relational self-awareness shows up in our friendships in relationships with colleagues with our kids with our parents all of that but basically the, you know, I spent my career moving between academia and research and clinical work and sort of translating all of that to the general public. And the thing that I realized was coming up again and again is the through line was basically that the, it all starts with us. It all starts with the relationship we have with ourselves. That becomes the foundation for our relationship with everybody else It becomes the, how we tend to ourselves, how we relate to ourselves becomes a pair of glasses through which we experience our intimate partnership. Um, It becomes the the, the foundation of our distortions, like all the ways in which we distort and get it wrong and misperceive and amplify and ignore, you know, what the other person is doing. So relational self-awareness is basically a set of skills and practices and tools and a commitment again and again, to looking at what gets stirred up inside of us. Because otherwise, we end up getting stuck in cycles of blame, especially in our long-term intimate partnerships. It's so easy to point our finger at our partner. This would be different if you were different. I wouldn't get mad if you wouldn't do this. Um, and, And or it's really easy to get lost in shame, like just blaming ourselves for all of the problems in our relationship. And so when we learn to practice relational self-awareness, we can start to widen out the lens and start to look at the dynamics, the dances, the choreography that happens in the space between ourselves and our intimate
1: partner. Hmm. And so say someone's interested in doing this. And I love that you acknowledge like this is not taught to us. In fact, what we're exposed to slash educated about is, is this fantasy land, or as you reference on your website, like fairy tales. This is what we've been told where there's no conflict. Everyone gets along, um, even if the their backgrounds were, were maybe not so lovely. And how does one at any age start to become self-aware enough to notice that the same kind of triggers or reactions are happening Obviously, it's really important in an intimate relationship, but also with friendships. Like, if the common thread is that all your relationship ends a certain way or your friendship don't progress in a certain way, that's when we start to think, like, maybe it is something we're doing. And we can—how do we best, like, observe that, like you said, without blaming— Right. but noticing and then changing it because we have been it's been modeled for us perhaps we've been conditioned based on our own you know background and history but what are some kind of first steps and i know none of these are easy because it's always hard oh. when you're going against your your kind of path of least resistance
0: yeah and going against the culture like you know that that is right one set of messages is about the fairy tale that, you know, relationships shouldn't be work. Couples therapy is only for people who are on the brink of divorce. Like if it's not easy, something is wrong. You should want to have sex all the time, like whatever, you know, like this sort of like romanticized myths of how relationships should be. That's one set of myths. And then there's like an interesting, I have been struggling a lot with this lately An interesting, like subcurrent right now that I think is a side effect of social media and the fact that there are so there's just so much relationship content out there on social media. So now it's almost like there's this secondary storyline, which is my husband is a narcissist, my ex is a narcissist, my mom is a narcissist, my dad is a narcissist, they're all narcissists, (laughs) like there's just sort of this, like opposite thing happening now, where everyone is diagnosing, you know, everyone in their lives with narcissism, with emotional unavailability, all of this kind of stuff. So all of, I think there's a way that we like crave simplicity. Like we want it to be, we want relationships to be simple. We want the formula. We want the like three steps to, and I don't, I, that's just not relationships aren't going to cooperate with that kind of framing. But what we can do is condition ourselves, train ourselves, like become more curious, not, and I think it can be kind of a rude awakening, right? If we're going to start to dismantle the romanticized myths, if we're going to start to say, maybe it's not that everybody's narcissist, maybe there's a part that I play in this, we have to do it kind of bit by bit. And we have to do it with with really thoughtful attention to where this all starts, which is in our homes growing up when we're little. And it's not about blaming parents. Because our parents, I mean, the vast, vast, vast majority of, um, of, of parents, of attachment figures, of caregivers, you know, raise their little people to the degree of their own healing and with the amount of awareness that they have at the time that they're doing it. So it's not going to be another one of these things where we say, I can't have a healthy marriage because of what happened to me in my childhood. It can't be like, we're not going to offload it there, but we are going to look to the past to understand the role we played in our family, the patterns that we observed in our family growing up. So that's that's really the heart of relational self-awareness is understanding that we are, we are shaped by those early experiences. We, we, co- we quite literally come to know who we are, like the self, our very self, Is formed like in that crucible of our, you know, what I call like the original love classroom, like our, the family system that we grew up in. And so that's where we have to look because the research has also shown that our adult intimate relationships play out an awful lot like our childhood attachment because we attach to our, to the big people in our home growing up. And then the way that we attach to an intimate partner looks an awful lot like that, those early attachment patterns in terms of how stirred we get, how much we, you know, co-regulate, like sort of feed off of the energy. And so the past is going to is going to sneak up on us. And I think especially for very high achieving people, you know, if they, I, I this is like sort of my prototype of client or student is like high achieving person who just kind of hunkered down, got through it all, figured out what ladder they were going to climb, and then ends up having their booties kicked in their love lives. Because achievement and success at work or in academia does not guarantee you achievement and success in your love life. It's a radically different set of skills, quite frankly. So that's oftentimes like the the reckoning or the crashing down where somebody is like, all right, enough of this. Let me just you know, start to Start to take a look in the rearview mirror, understand where I came from, and understand how to start to shift.
1: Okay, before we go into maybe some questions one could ask oneself, I love that you brought up social media and that you brought up research because I too, you know, see a lot of people giving movement advice who mm. are also trying to cookie cutter it down into like, here's 30 seconds. And I can imagine it must be a little disheartening and concerning for you to see people who aren't doing um, the same amount of Work. I mean, it says here that you are the woman on a bridge making it your mission to ensure that research and clinical wisdom travels to this ivory tower into the hands and hearts of people who are craving healthy relationships. Clinical wisdom is a big part of that because mm-hmm. it's the ability to look through um, that more academic mind or that, that you're not just going with what you know or what someone's told you or read in a magazine – and I'm not saying everybody's doing that, but it is really right. important for people who are listening that you do seek out the professionals who are actually studying this and have studied uh, relationships and personal growth and and psychology. So can you talk a little bit about what, how you bring in the clinical wisdom and how it informs what you offer to people? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't... <sighs> I think that what I would want someone to know is that if, if you have found yourself a set of folks to follow on Instagram, for example, where you're getting these like kind of daily bits, I think just I would want somebody to, to use that to supplement, like as a little supplement or a daily dose or a micro dose or an idea to chew on. Um, that that supplements either a longer term therapy relationship or a longer term practice that has to do with journaling and self-reflection or working in community with others in deeper, you know, more ongoing conversations because of that sort of cookie cutter. I mean, and you, you know, you and I are, are similar in this way, kind of trying to figure out how do we export things that are high quality while honoring that there's so much more complexity. It's, it is, I think it's it's sort of the blessing and the curse of, of social media.
1: Um, yeah, it is, because people yeah. are only going to listen for, you know, a very short amount of time and it's hard to convey, like you said, the many, many layers yeah. that are involved in in relationships and in movement and the body. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, like, and those little doses and reminders and adjustments and tweaks are really important. So I think that would just be, I think that would be the first thing is for somebody, I would never want someone to think their whole healing journey can come from just, uh, you know, an Instagram feed and, and that it's, and that it's lifelong. Right. And, and that, you know, I've been, I mean, I've, I've been a therapist for well over 20 years. I've been a, I was a therapy client before I was a therapist. I was a reader of self-help books, you know, before I was a therapy client. So it's like a lifetime, right? It's a lifetime of unpacking and we don't we aren't ever done and we don't have to be done because whenever we reach something that feels like a new layer of insight and we're watching ourselves behave differently in our relationships, I want us to celebrate that and savor it and notice that we aren't as reactive as we used to be. We know when to pause a conversation in a way we wouldn't have before. I want us to celebrate all of that while knowing that then there's going to be something else either an unexpected challenge like a job loss or a scary health diagnosis or a pandemic or some something you know like that or even something normative like menopause like launching a kid like you know a a, a kid becoming a toddler a toddler becoming a you know a kid a kid becoming a teen all of that stuff awakens new stuff right like i you know like just as a little example like when our Um, I have this memory of when our daughter had her first day of sixth grade, so her first day of middle school. My husband and I walked her um, to school that day and she headed off into the building. And I started crying so hard on the way home. Like, not just like, oh, what a tender moment. Our baby's in middle school, but like what Oprah would have called like the ugly cry, like just really crying. And my husband was like, oh my God, what is like, what is going on? And it was just a moment of me blurring my own experience of my middle school, which was God awful with her. Like, I felt like I had just sent her into a war zone. Like it was what Mm -hmm. it felt like inside of my body was like, how could I do that to my daughter? How could I let my little girl walk into a place as awful as a middle school, you know? And so that, so even if we're like, you can't be done because there was that new layer, that new memory or that That like time warp of my past and her present, that was evocative
1: and inside of me. Oh, I love that example. I I've had a couple of those myself with, and I think, you know, it's it's an interesting like just observation for, for for civilization to as parents raising children, and both are growing, both are evolving. We're hoping, yeah. But to like to think about like we're just. Big kids, and we're a little ahead of the game, but we're still got you know there's a lot to do, and and that's I think I we have to keep remembering that as parents, like, and I think when our kid it's actually easier in some ways when our kids get past that idolization when they actually look at us Mm -hmm. as humans, and then we can let down not that we wouldn't before, but I think then we can show them we're also on this journey, and you know let's help each other out in ways, and I'm also going to get upset and I'll apologize when. (sighs) I'm not acting as well. And I just, I don't have too many memories. I mean, I love my my parents. My dad is exempt because he never really got mad at all. But I don't ever remember my mom really apologizing. Hmm. And I have known, like, that is something that I've really had to work on with in mm-hmm. my relationship mm-hmm. with my husband. And I think this is, you know, we could go on a tangent yeah. about that. But it is, um, it's very hard when you're, when you're, I think high, whether you're high achieving or not, whether you're just attached to being right, it's really hard to apologize. Why do you think that is? I think it's pretty universal.
0: It's pretty universal. I agree. Um, I agree. I mean, it continues to be a growing edge for me. I, I know for me, my struggle with apology is I, I get very confused inside of my heart, inside of my body, the difference between making a mistake and being a terrible person, you know, mm-hmm. that's, or, or and even a mistake, but just like doing something thoughtless, you know, being impatient. It is. It continues to be like an active process for me to separate my less, you know, my yucky behavior, my shady McGrady behavior, as they call it, from like who I am as a person. And so if I'm in shame, right? Like feeling like this, I I am an inadequate mother. I am a rotten wife. If I am in shame, I can't apologize because there's no platform. There's no platform for me to stand on to be relational, right? Because an apology is a relational process. I have to look in your eyes. I have to center your experience. I can't do any of that if I'm in that like kind of like, shame becomes like a cocoon. Like I know that when I am in shame, it's almost like, like it's like Charlie Brown's teacher, like other, the other person's voice starts to sound, you know, like want, 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 because it's all shame is all about me, about my story, about me. So there's no, there's no space then for apology. So I, I have learned like kicking and screaming and like practicing it again and again to step away to tend to myself, right? Like I have to regulate myself, find my platform of like worthiness in order to make the repair, offer the apology. Cause that's because the apology is relational. Otherwise, you know, I mean, any apology is offered from shame is like basically a burden to the other person. It's like, you know, you have to forgive me to save me from myself, right? That's the other, you know, it's like, either I'm a narcissist, either I'm I can't apologize because, you know, I'm, I'm like hunkered down and I'm sure that I'm right. And I'm making all these excuses that sometimes blocks apology, but then oftentimes that shame will block an apology. And then we're at risk of offloading it and saying like, you have to, you have to forgive me because otherwise I am stuck in this, you know, shame yeah. spiral. And that's not, that's not fair. That's like,
1: I know, and I think that there's kind of a middle ground that I I often find myself in, which I don't really feel shame, and I don't feel like I'm totally right, but I feel like a little justified in maybe something I said, and it was the intention behind it was good. I had like an argument last week with my husband, and he basically told me what I said was hurting his feelings, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking like I'm my intention was not to do that. I was to help him in a situation, and I at the. After I thought about it a little bit, I was like, it doesn't really matter what my intention was. What matters is that he felt this way. And his being hurt by what I said is way more important that I mend that than even if I feel really strongly like my intention was actually pretty good was (laughs) to be helpful, you know? So it is, it's It's a constant. Yes.
0: Well, that whole intent versus impact, that Mm. is just... And the, you know, um, doctors, John and Julie Gottman, who are like the sort of preeminent, they're not sort of, they are the preeminent marital researchers and they've done research on, you know, intent versus impact. And, you know, this cool study where it was like, it, I can't, I can't speak to the details of the study enough, but basically the, the takeaway from the study was it literally actually does not matter what your intention was like that. It can matter in an esoteric Sort of big, but in a relational sense, it, it for exactly the the reason that you're saying, like you're, if your husband focuses on your intent, he has to then invalidate his own hurt, and who mm-hmm. does that? Who does that serve? But the thing we know for sure is that when you are able to focus on his hurt. That opens the door for him to say, "I know, Lara, I know that you do not walk around this house trying to figure out how you're going to stick it to me." But it, right. that just can't—that just can't happen first. It has to happen, you know, second. It has to yes. be that you honor the hurt, and then that opens the door for him to honor and remind you that he knows you are, you know, a good woman
1: who sometimes just. Whatever. That was yeah. Sometimes says something I shouldn't. Have. But I mean, I'm imagining I know the answer, and I'm not even a therapist. But I imagine, and you are an expert at this at at marital relations. Is there any other relation that is as significantly impactful to our growing as individuals and understanding ourselves as being in a marriage? I'm I'm thinking parent child, but it there's just that generation and all those other gaps is there anything else i mean is that why working with in marital counseling must be both exhilarating and exhausting because it's right. so complex
0: right 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 there's certain yeah I mean I think you're really right that there's that the like the parent child relationship is hugely formative and the parent adult child relationship is really significant but oftentimes we don't you know we don't we don't have the same kind of like structures in place to, to do that work to kind of heal the relationship, you know, as adults with our own parents. So in that way, right, a marriage, an intimate partnership is just, it's just so, it's just so all encompassing as well, right? It, it has all the elements of having to navigate domestic Life, which is on the surface about, you know, putting away groceries, but underneath about gender and power and recognition and validation and, you know, family of origin wounds and da-da-da. So it's just, yes, you're. I think that you're exactly right. That like in a marriage, there are just so many touch points, so many opportunities to be like, why the hell am I reacting the way I'm reacting? And what is it about this moment that has me so triggered? So in, in that way, it's, it's quite evocative. And the stakes, you know, the stakes are so high because it is, it is, it is chosen, especially today, you know, we, we choose our marriages much more than I mean, I have more freedom in my marriage than my grandma had, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. so I think there's something about kind of how chosen relationships are, even though even though unraveling a marriage and going through a divorce is obviously hugely significant, which is also why the stakes are high, because the consequences of it not working are high. And we, we want so much from our uh, from our marriages, right? Much more than what my grandma wanted from my grandpa, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you're right.
1: So if you were, I know this is a really tricky question, but if you were to kind of define what a really healthy marriage uh, would include, what are some of the characteristics that you would say are are markers for people? Because I think some people, you know, instead of looking at like, what isn't healthy, I think those might be easier to identify, but what are some really good markers for the indication of a healthy marriage? That doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean it's not going to have its ups and downs, but healthy as in strong and is going to be working together to be your best individual and collective selves. Yeah. <sighs> um, I think one is,
0: an ongoing, com- an ongoing commitment to being curious about how each of us is evolving rather than threatened by it.
1: Mm.
0: That's a really, it's a hard one, but that's a big one because, because a marriage is dynamic because the two people in it are dynamic. So then as I, you know, as my husband changes, I've got a choice. I can either be like, well, that's not how you used to be, you know, or I can be like, oh, Wow. That's not how you used to be. What's going on? How do I get to know it? What's the story I make up in my own head about it? What scares me about it? What intrigues me about it? So growth, being able to be curious about growth
1: is a really big one. I love that. It's huge. Because you hear about all the time. I was like, I see this all the time. Like when people get into yoga and they maybe go into a teacher training and, oh. the, and all this stuff happens. And then I just know enough of them. Not everybody, of course, but just a... a you know, a percentage end up getting divorced. And it's not like getting into yoga got them divorced. Yeah. But it's the fact that they were growing and changing and being curious and evolving and their partner wasn't. And they're either Or their wa-
0: partner was sorry, or, or their resi-
1: partner was threatened. Threatened, exactly. Because it's like here's this new person. And instead of being like, Wow, this person's really happy, but you know, happier in a different way, or passionate in a different way, or changing priorities, or whatever it is, yes, threatened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's very interesting. So I think it's true. Like individually, we have to always be curious to grow and then support our partner on that and and not be threatened by it.
0: One last thing. Oh yeah.
1: Go ahead. I have, I have compassion, like as
0: deep as the ocean for what it must feel like. I'm like in my, I'm painting a picture now of a, of a man whose wife has been whatever, perhaps home raising kids for a number of years now she finds Lara now She's you know, <laughs> on this path. And so I and so it's it is I can imagine these tender as hell stories inside of him, which is as she gets stronger, as she gets bolder, as she takes on leadership roles, she's never she hasn't had since before we had babies is am I going to be enough for her? That's the heart of it mm, is inside yeah. of his inside of his heart is a deep fear that brings tears to my eyes mm-hmm. about she is going to leave me if she doesn't need me the way she used to, if she starts to judge my body in a way she used to not, like, who am I? If she is strong and vibrant, who am I to her? And am I going to lose her? And that, especially for a man, to sit in that vulnerability, to even imagine it, right? When we have not, we, we train, I mean, by the time boys are three, we touch our boys less and we talk to our boys less by the time they're three years old. And so then we wonder why, they grow up and become quote-unquote emotionally unavailable men or men who define themselves through their work or their paycheck like of course they do because that's how we raise them to be so can that moment of what feels like a threat I'm threatened by my wife's you know changing physique vibrant nature can that threat can they touch can they have support to touch the core of I'm afraid she's going to leave me I'm afraid she's I'm not enough for her. And can that get verbalized? And can, you know, and then, then the whole thing changes. Yeah. But if all he does is cross his arms and say, here you go again, another yoga, another this, da, da, da," then
1: of course it's going to erode everything oh, between them. Of course. And that always, you know, on the flip side of that, I feel not good for those couples, but it always makes me that much more grateful for my husband who has witnessed <laughs> me change so many times and been my biggest cheerleader. You know, not like, oh, uh, you can't do that. You know, you can't go to a coaster. Just been like, I mean, the only time he said, I don't think that's a good idea was when it really was going to somehow impact our plans or our family time. But he is, yeah, it does make me feel I need to make sure he always knows how grateful I am for that. Because it is for for men and women, but you're right because of the conditioning men have gone through to be in that vulnerable space and be able to say, look at you fly. And I'm so, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, so wonderful. Mm-hmm.
0: And I trust that I am enough as I am, that you're going to keep on loving me, that you're going to fly and you're going to come home to me because I know who I am as the man in your life or the person in your life. Yes, for sure. For sure. For
1: sure. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So get, can you also talk about relationship superpowers. I'm sure we've You've described some of them, but when you talk about that on your website, and you have a little quiz, everybody's got to check it out. It'll be in the show notes. What are some examples of these relationship superpowers?
0: Okay, this is a brand new this is a brand new um, quiz that we have just launched. Oh, so I'm use... so oh, yeah. look at that! Oh, perfect. Yeah,
1: yeah. I didn't yeah. even know that.
0: Uh-huh. It is. It's a brand. Yeah. It's been really fun to kind of develop, you know, it's sort of, it goes along with the question that you were saying before about like, okay, what are the qualities of a healthy relationship? I think it's, I think so often we're, we are in touch with what we're struggling with or what isn't going well in places we get stuck. So we really wanted to create a quiz that was about helping people like honor and celebrate what they, what, what they are doing in amazing ways, what our strengths, because oftentimes our strengths are invisible to mm-hmm. us, you know. So the quiz starts. You answer some questions, and you get your relationship superpower. And then, and then you get invited to also um, identify your relationship growing edge. And then there's some, you know, resources that become available to you. But the, yeah, I mean, it is about for some some people, their relationship superpower is that they they just they live really naturally and easily in their bodies, and that means that they are um, that touch and physical intimacy and erotic intimacy is really seamless for them and that my gosh is worthy of celebration and honoring for some people it's their superpower is the capacity to stay calm when their partner gets ruffled, you know, to kind of not take the bait and get really stormy and panicky along with their partner. That's a beautiful quality to, beautiful. to have, to be able to hold center, you know, in a relationship. So that's, um, that's what that new, it's a brand new quiz. Oh, I love and it. Glad we're talking about it. Cause I do think I would love for people to take it and to give us feedback and kind of see what I would love to know kind of what thoughts come up for people as they have a little bit of time to reflect on and like kind of put their hand on their heart and be like, look at me, like this is something I'm doing really well in my
1: relationships. And I love that because I feel like, like you said, sometimes we don't acknowledge our strengths, but our strengths, if we actually capitalize them, they're much easier to like amplify because they're mm. already something that is either intuitive or natural or whatever, and they should be celebrated. And I, yeah. and we, we, I think we all know we always have things to work on, but isn't it also great to celebrate what we're doing really well? So wonderful. Everyone check that out. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned the body and people being in tune with the body. So I'd like to talk about something that, of course, resonates deeply for me. And as a movement specialist who preaches about taking care of one's own bodies and, and you speak about how we don't receive enough education about relationships, I always am also talking about that it's such a disservice that we aren't educated In our school systems, like in elementary school, about our bodies, because Mm -hmm. this is something that we're going to have for the rest of our lives, and there's probably not any one or anything that is going to be with us in the same way that our own bodies Mm -hmm. are, and yet it's a mystery. It's a mystery for for a lot of us, and and there might be shame involved, there might be just like strangeness, or just a disconnect, and so on your website, there was a quote that I just loved, and it said, this is by Hillary McBride, who is, must be another psychologist, a doctor. Um, There's no thinking, sensing, loving, remembering, developing self that is not a body. Our bodies are the place of our experience of being human. And so oh. Gee, oh, I love that. And it's of course, I'm beautiful. like, it's so beautiful because yeah. we have, and I talk about this on one of my monthly motivations, this real... Um, it, it's a, it's beyond a disservice. It's a, it's just it's it's such a detriment that we have separated body and mind, body and spirit. When when the body is encompassing all those things, and and then it it harbors it, it shapes it, it might suffocate it, it might really whatever. But it is through our bodies we can experience so much. So do you think that? Um, We are even able to be our most authentic selves, our most embodied sources of wisdom and generosity and passion and curiosity when we aren't paying attention or treating our bodies as this divine place of this experience of the human? No.
0: No, No. absolutely not. No. No. And I... You know, your background is, um, is physical therapy and movement. And, and my background is, you know, psychology. And I grew up in psychology in a time when it was completely about the mind. You know, I learned how to make the most clever erudite interpretations of somebody's thoughts and their feelings. You know, I did not learn a single thing in graduate school about the body, about, about sex, about the body, about how emotions are embodied experiences. Like my field, and and it's so cool to see now, like my field is undergoing a massive embodiment revolution that is going to change. It's going to keep changing the way that we do. I mean, and just think about how I've done therapy for 20 years. I mean, I sit in a chair and my client sits in a chair and we talk and we talk and we talk. And maybe, you know, maybe at at time, like I will with my couples, I will have them turn to each other or, you know, do things with their body. But, But that is that is less of the time than it should be given all of the science that is coming out about trauma and bodies and, you know, just all of it. So we're, we're, we are in a new phase, in a new revolution that is being frankly led by women and people of color. And it is sort of like the decolonization also of um, my field in all kinds of exciting ways, but no, I know it to be true. I, I knew it to be true. You know, when I was, um, I wouldn't be able to stay without getting tearful. But when I came to Costa Rica on your retreat, um, you know, it was my first. I've I've been a total, I've been a total like group fitness gal my entire life. I love group fitness, and in the pandemic, you know, I lost access to group fitness in every way. And um, was still even in April when I came to you, was still just kind of finding my way back into group fitness as a community or as a possibility. And It was on our second day of yoga. I remember exactly where I was standing. I remember exactly the pose that I was in. I said out loud, oh, here I am. Mm. Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was how it felt. Like it wasn't, here's my body. It was, oh, here I am Mm. In, in my body, around bodies, being a body. Celebrating a body, in union with other body. It was magnificent. It's the whole thing.
1: Mm, that is beautiful. Mm. So what recommendations I mean, I know what I tell people, but what recommendations do you give people to better connect to their bodies, to better show up with um, this sense of confidence and clarity in their bodies, in their selves, and then how that could eventually impact their relationships?
0: hmm. Mm hmm. I think there's I think there's so much. I mean, one, I know for me, a huge part of it. And this is, I think, true for many, many women, as I know you hear probably multiple times a day. It's about like changing my relationship with uh, healing my relationship with movement as being something I do to make my body look a certain way or to get yes. like this monkey off my back around you know, I did the thing I was supposed to do, which is manage my body or restrict my body or make my body tighter or smaller or da, da da And to just see movement and exercise and fitness as 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 vital as anything else that I do. I know that's a really big one. That's a, a really big
1: that's huge. Shift. I, I, I think that so many people, even in the younger generation, so it's not just like we're kind of overcoming it now from our generation, but It is this sense that um, our bodies are something we have to fix or make better or look better. And instead of thinking it as this fluid shape that don't we want to feel a part of? And and like you said, oh, here I am. Like feeling it without judging it, without um, picking it apart. And of course, the messaging... I'm sure there's some science behind this, but the messaging, just like there's how many episodes of violence you see on TV by the time you're whatever age, Mm -hmm. the amount of times we see something where somebody's trying to fix their body, lose weight, look this way, has got to be just, I mean, saturating our poor nervous system. Right. And I just, do you think for people it's just a matter of starting to reframe it. Like moving my body is healing myself. Yeah. And that's, I like that. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Right. I move my body. I move my body because I am my body. Like this is what it means to live in a body. This is how I celebrate being in a body. And yeah, making the connections. I think like when, you know, like having that felt sense of when I have moved my body, I feel clearer. I feel more patient. Like, Making that connection and like like landing it, like knowing how the body feels if it hasn't been moved in several days, you know, and like landing that feeling and contrasting with the feeling of when I am engaged in a really regular practice, like that. No, I think the noticing, I think noticing, noticing,
1: and on that, I'll just this will be my final note because I know we could talk forever about. Mm-hmm. There's so much more. Your two books, et cetera, et cetera, sexuality, everything, but journaling. Hmm. How impactful is journaling? Like you were just saying, notice how you feel. Do you think that writing it down, uh, how you feel before, how you feel after, what do you recommend journaling for? Like, what are some of the queries that you would or prompts you would give people who might not have ever journaled, but is a way of getting out some of the stuff that's in here and being able to, in a way process it or, mm-hmm. or let it be a reminder of something of the growth that you're in, going through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't feel particularly dogmatic about journaling. I know there mm-hmm. have been chapters in my life where it has been a, an absolute lifeline for me and chapters in my life where it has been a bit more in the backseat. I think we're living in a cool time where there's so many different ways to journal. Like very often on my Instagram feed, my post will contain Some I call them like RSA questions, like relational self-awareness questions, and any of those can be used as a journal prompt. So I know that I, I know I offer them, I know lots of people offer them. I just, I did an interview for my podcast with um, a woman named Alex L, who is, um, she, her new book is called How We Heal. And she's a huge, I mean, her whole her whole work is around um, healing through journaling. So this is a a real centerpiece for her. So it's interesting to hear her take on journaling. And she is, she is, she teaches people how to heal through journaling. But she shared something that I had never thought of in this way, which is she's now talking a lot about... about talk journaling. So she has people go for a walk and start like a voice memo on their phone and just talk something through to their phone, which is a lovely way. I think sometimes it's the writing, the writing maybe like brings back painful memories from high school, you know, or it feel, or it feels unsafe. Like, I don't know who's going to look at this or it feels laborious. So I want people to have permission to have, sometimes people like to have a locked file on their computer. Like a, there's, there are apps that you can use that are sort of lock, locked in private where you can type instead of write. Or this idea of talk journaling where you're just talking into your, um, you know, making a voice memo voice for yourself memo. and maybe come back to it later. So I think that that's really permission giving. So I think that's the biggest thing is just permission giving rather than
1: prescriptive. And I like how you said like there are going to be times where it might be more, I'm the same way. I'm not a journaler per se, but there's times where it has really benefited me when I was Mm -hmm. processing something, especially when my kids were little and, you know, I was having some kind of moment and I just like to write it down. And in a way, it's very interesting to read it back because I don't even... I I can remember it viscerally, but I can't relate to the Mm -hmm. things that I wrote. And sometimes that's going to be beneficial as well because you can see how your own growth happens. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. All right. Speaking of your podcast, can you just tell everybody where they can find all of the jewels that you offer, your website, your podcast, Instagram, etc.?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, the easiest, the the sort of hub is dralexandrasolomon.com. So on the website, you will find a blog. There's probably well over a hundred articles at this point, relationship articles. It's a searchable blog by topic. Um, You can find links there to social media. Instagram is dr.alexandrasolomon. And you can also find the podcast on the website or the podcast through reimagininglove.com. Uh, and you can also listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And it's been, we launched it just about a year ago. We're about 50 episodes in. And you know, I mean, it is a, it's a a—it's a labor of love and a labor yes. of cre- creativity and such a wonderful opportunity to get to know new people and create content in different ways than I ever have before. So Reimagining Love is a place where we're, we're working on all these different facets of, you um, it's just of, of, of being a human in relation to other humans we're largely talking about intimate partnerships but we've done episodes on um, on parenting and on friendship and body image and um, racism you know so we kind of go we but it all comes back to just expanding our, our experiences of ourselves so that we can create relationships with others that feel nourishing and and um, beneficial
1: yeah uh. Well, I love it, and I love you, and thank you so much again for coming on today. Um, Everyone, this is just such a treat, and I'm so grateful for you.
0: Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you, and for everyone out there, I love you, and I'm always (laughs) pulling for you.